Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode five of Stage Side Podcast. I'm here with Kevin Butat from the Acacia Strain. How's it going, Kevin? Yellow. Yeah, hey, it's going. Good. It's a nice, sunny, yet chilly uh, Wednesday afternoon here in the great state of New York. We got that here in Utah. It's cold when the wind blows, but if you're standing still and there's no wind, it's pretty nice. There's good sun right, yeah. right now. So we've had, uh, like last week, it was very very cold like in the 20s or like the teens and then we had this crazy ice storm but this past week it kind of warmed up so like right now it's like 35 degrees so i just i walked to the gas station down the street and just my t-shirt like and it felt like it was a spring day yeah <laughs> no snow all around but it's nice though that it's, it's finally starting to melt a little bit but it's nice we get that here too where you can be in jeans and like a t-shirt and just be comfortable but then obviously you know mm-hmm. once it starts to drop it's brutal are you upstate yeah, I live right outside of Albany. Okay. So so basically, all right, so if you're from New York, literally anything above New York City is upstate, but then you get the people that live like in Westchester County that's right above New York City. They call us upstate and they call themselves downstate, but then it's, so yeah, if you want to say, <laughs> if you want to say I'm in upstate New York, then yes, that's the answer. Okay. And when you're from here and you're here, everything below us is downstate no matter what it is. And then you have the North country, which is just, you know, like, you know, beyond the Adirondacks and then Western New York or like Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse is. There's your little geography lesson for, yeah. for New York. My uncle lives just outside of Buffalo. And uh, when he first moved, I was super young. I told him, I was like, Oh yeah, it's like upstate New York. And they're like, no, that's Western New York. It's like not the yeah. same. It's sectioned off. And I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. Like people will get like super like offended if you say the wrong thing. It's like, relax, calm down. But I will say it's the same thing. Like, cause I'm from Connecticut, born and raised in Connecticut. So I'm a new England guy at heart. But then when someone tries to say New York's part of new England and I'm like, Whoa, uh-uh, no, it is not. Yeah. You're not part of new England. You were New York. That's complete. You're, I know we're bordering each other, but no, you can't say that. We're yeah, not the no. same. <laughs> I'm originally from Baltimore. So Maryland has like the okay. whole DMV thing, DC, Maryland, Virginia. But it, like when you move out of there, it's very much a regional thing. But when you live there, right. it's very much a state specific thing. Like people that are from DC, which obviously lies within Maryland and even PG County, they'll still say like, oh no, I'm DC. And then if you're from Maryland, it's like, no, I'm yeah. from Maryland. And then Virginia, you have Northern Virginia and Virginia. But it's, so it's like, when you leave, I guess it's kind of the same as like New England and New York. It's like, when you're there, you're like, no, no, this is this. But then when you leave, you're like, okay, like we have some collaborative, we have something in common, but it's not, you know, once you get back home, it's like, no, you're on your own. Like we're completely separate. Yeah. So the Acacia strain now, I believe you guys are pretty spread out across the country, all the members, correct? Yeah, the only people that live close, like Vincent lives like 45 minutes north of me. Um, we're the only ones that live anywhere close to each other. We're, so we're both in New York. And then uh, we got one in, uh, we got one in North Carolina. Uh, and then we got Griffin out in uh, Iowa. I don't know why it's taking me so long to figure this out. <laughs> and then Devin's out in California. Um, so yeah, we're pretty spread out. How has that affected? I guess one, the recording process, and then also the practice process before touring. So the way this band has pretty much always been when it came to practicing, um, I'd say for 
for the entirety that I've been in the band, which has been a long time now, um, we kind of, everybody practices by themselves, even when we were a local, you know, everyone was around the same area. Uh, we usually just, everyone kind of fends for themselves and practices on their, by themselves. Like I'd just go at a jam spot and have headphones on and play along with the records. Everyone can sit at home and play on their computers, you know, along with the record. And then we usually get together now, especially everyone's so spread apart. Um, we'll get together like a week or so before a tour and just kind of go through everything, you know, two, three times a day until tour starts to hash out all the stuff. Um, and now that we have, we're using, um, you know, playing to a click track and in-ears, uh, you know, there's a lot more to hash out and iron out and knock the rust off before tours now. But for all of us, it's like riding a bike. So, you know, once we all start playing together and everything, everything locks in pretty quickly. And, you know, it's just, it's second nature to us at this point. So that's nice knowing that. That's one thing I was going to ask. I, I'm not a musician. I can strum a few, you know, chords on an acoustic guitar and that's about it. I mean, I'm definitely like full blown in the music, go to almost every show I can like dive in deep. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the actual musicianship, I just don't have it. But I did see that someone asked you on Instagram about playing to a click track and a metronome or a click track and using in-ears. And then you said that it was just more beneficial for the, for the actual musicians, I guess, what is, because I, I know some would be freaking out. They're like, Oh no, I want to hear about that. What's the benefit to that? What's the difference, the adjustment? So I'll start with, by saying how, you know, the headliner we just did in the November and December, 2021, that was our first time ever using, well, we that one show we had last August with Ghost Inside. That was our first show ever in the entirety of this band playing to a click track and having in-ears. So it was very nerve wracking, um, but I'd say not even 10 seconds into it. It was like, holy shit. Like I, we've been trying to do punk rock style and like just going up there and playing our shit. Like, for all this time when we could have been doing this like for one you know having a click track obviously keeps you perfectly on tempo everyone's on the same page um and then being able to hear everybody so perfectly being able to hear my drums perfectly and not having to rely on some you know if my drum wedge works or not or if they can put certain frequencies through it um and it's just everything is just so controlled it's so isolated. I, you know, I don't have to have my ears blasting. It could just be like a moderate volume, but I can hear literally everything that's going on. And it's honestly, it was, it, it blew my mind, like on how amazing it was. Um, and now that we do it, I can never go back, especially with this band. I will never go back to playing without them. It's just, a, it's an absolute no at this point. Um, everybody plays better. We, you know, we sound better. Vincent, for one, you know, he he was against it for a second. Like, he didn't want to get the in-ears after we decided to do it. And then he was like, ah, whatever, I'll, I'll get them. And him especially, like, this last tour, he's never sounded as good as he sounds right now because he can actually hear himself. He's never straining. Like, he could, same thing, have it on, like, a somewhat lower volume. But he's not straining to hear himself, which is, you know, that's the most important thing for a singer. They need to be able to hear what they're doing. And it's, you know, partly psychological too. But the fact that he can hear himself, he doesn't have to strain. Um, 
he could he could go through you know we were playing each city two nights playing two completely different sets and he was able to knock both of them out like perfectly every single night so um so i would one thing i will say every band if you are thinking about doing click tracks you know there's cheap ways to do it and then there's really stupid expensive ways to do it i would suggest doing that stupid expensive way because that's the way we went about it and it's one of those things where you do it once and you know you're never going to have to really fix anything some things might go wrong you know switch out a cable here and there or get something serviced which you have to do with everything anyhow but um do it right once and you should never really have to do it again but yeah in-ears definitely probably the the best upgrade that we've done in this band i think ever and it's and everybody was saying you know friends of ours on this last tour seeing videos and even us hearing ourselves back because we were able to record our sets um it was just like we why haven't we been doing this longer <laughs> it was just it was crazy to see the how fast we progressed just by switching to in-ears and playing with a click it's made you play better overall and made you a better musician oh yeah and the, yeah oh yeah and playing with the click and knowing you know exactly where you are like time-wise in the song and everything you just i've never been so relaxed while playing also because i'm it's keeping me even where you know even when i have adrenaline you know pumping right at the beginning of the set um normally without a quick track i'd be you know kind of playing a little faster with things because the adrenaline's going but now with the quick track like that adrenaline's still there you know i'm still pumped up ready to play but at the same time there's like this calming relaxing factor to it also like knowing that i'm you know i'm playing this thing perfectly on time this is going to be you know it sounds great it feels great like holy shit this, this fucking rules right now like it's it brings a whole different dynamic to everything it, like it makes me even more excited to play and you know i know i don't know if a lot of drummers like doing this too but for me with the click track it's like playing a game you know you know to try to make sure to stay on it as perfect as possible so it's it's it makes it there's there's not enough good things i can say about a quick track it's just in playing within ears it's just really the best that's good to know because like i said from from the non-musician side i've seen people talk about it and then like you know you see the people online that are you know just old and pissed off about everything and they're complaining about bands using it and then you see people who are all into the tech gear and everything are like no this is perfect and then you got people in the middle but i never knew what the difference was especially with in-ears so even with in-ears, do you feel like, do you feel like it's better when you're hearing long-term? Cause you said you don't have to blast it as loud. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm, you know, cause especially if you like, cause we all got molded ears. So like they fit in our ear canals perfectly. Like they don't go like super far in or anything, but they fill in everything around, you know, as they go in. So there's, you can still hear outside stuff, but all those frequencies that would be literally tearing your eardrums apart are no longer there like you know me constantly crashing on a china those frequencies aren't just stabbing me in the brain anymore same thing on like a crash or you know the frequencies that come off symbols and if you're not using ear protection which i didn't use for many years which is stupid not smart but that's also one of those things where it's like oh i can't hear myself if i have earplugs in oh it's obviously yes you could definitely still hear yourself it's just a you know it's, it's a psychological thing um but yeah, it's uh, there's there's really no other way 
to do it. It's the in-ears are the best. It, it saves you so many, so many things. It keeps you playing perfect, keeps your hearing intact. And yeah, they're really the best. So shout out 64 Audio for making the greatest in-ears that exist. It's good to hear. I'm glad you guys found something that works. Yeah. And so yeah. that's another thing I wanted to ask. I was watching an interview with Tommy Lee and he was saying, he was talking about, you know, how he would, how he would stagger his uh, indulgences on stage. Cause he was saying like, I'm playing too fast. I'm playing too slow. Like it throws everyone off. So mm-hmm. I guess kind of before uh, you talked about, but you know, you're more on time now, but just overall as a drummer, is that, where is that in priority? Cause there's so many things going on. Got both feet, both hands, your whole body's moving. Obviously, yep. you're keeping the rhythm. Is that something that's in the forefront of your mind when you're playing, or is this like you've been doing it so oh, long? Absolutely. That... Okay. So even though I've been, I mean, I've been playing drums since I was four, five years old. Uh, my dad played, so I basically just learned from watching him, and it was just you know just fascinated me. So I was like, I need to learn how to do this. Um. But uh, yeah, the. It's definitely, even now with the click track, it's still the forefront of my mind. It was even more so back before using it, like where I would always, I would always try to pretend there was like a click track in my head. And then I would try to, because I knew with the adrenaline, I'd be playing faster. So I would try to intentionally play a tiny bit slower to compensate for the fact that I knew I'd be playing a little faster. And you know, depending on the night, sometimes that worked out. Sometimes I would just be like, too excited and just you're ripping through the songs um or there'd be some nights where i wouldn't be as excited and you know trying to compensate for playing faster and you know to play slower to compensate for playing faster i was definitely playing a little slower so um yeah it's uh it's always i mean any drummer this this the answer to this question should always be yes that that's very much in the forefront of your mind because you know we're we're carrying the tempo for everyone. Like everyone's got to go off us. Even if, even if we are playing too fast, you know, they got to stay with us because if the guitar players and the bass player try to slow it down and I don't hear it, then that's just a giant mess. So it's kind of fun in a way that I control everything. <laughs> um, like I used to be able to, like in that song Impaler, uh, there's that one section in the middle where it's kind of a little off timey and just like a, china and like crash hits like accents where i used to some shows i would just keep that going for a long time because they know the cue that when i do this certain snare roll that's where it goes into the next part so i can literally carry that part going for forever if i wanted to and they can't change until i change until i give the cue so there'd be you know i wouldn't do it very often but sometimes if you were having a little extra fun or something like that or if it was, you know, kind of like a, a dud of a show to kind of just entertain ourselves a little bit on stage, I would keep that going. Um, there was a couple other songs, too. I can't think of that off the top of my head right now that I used to be able to do that, where I could just keep it going. And they had no choice but to just <laughs> stay on with me. And they would eventually realize after like a couple extra ones, you'd see them kind of, I could tell like their language, body language is changing a little bit. They're like, this feels like this is going long and then like <laughs> another one goes and then they're all like turning back looking at me and i'm just waiting with this smirk on my face for them to look at me so just letting them know you you run the show from back there yeah but i unfortunately i can't do that anymore with the click track so but 
So now I'm even, and now I have to pay even more attention to make sure I don't play an extra part or not, you know, because the click's going to, tempo is going to change a little bit late, like, you know, not far from there to, for the next part or so. But yeah, it was, it was fun always having the, uh, the control back there, being the captain. <laughs> so it sounds like the in-ears have uh, leveled the playing field a little bit. It took some of your control. Yeah. Now, now our computer is our, is the captain. <laughs> but, Fair enough. So what is the, again, what is the recording process or I guess more the writing process now? Um, I know you said that you guys get together and you'll play for a few days before the tour, but as far as the writing process, especially being so spread out, you guys get together or is it something where you are all working on, you know, certain patterns or, you know, somebody has a certain guitar rip they want to put in. And then also how does it tie in with Vincent doing the vote? Like, does he come to you with, Hey, I have lyrics for this song. This is kind of how I want it to sound. Or is he just send just the raw lyrics and you all come off of something um, like that? So one thing I say is Dropbox is our best friend. Um, I have zero knowledge basically when it comes to like recording anything or like putting things on the, com you know, putting an idea into the computer and sending it off. So it's, you know, mostly, uh, our string guys will have riffs or song ideas and they'll just record them quickly and put some sort of like quick little drum cart, like drum parts to it and then put it into a Dropbox. And then, you know, we'll all respectively listen to things and kind of drill things into our heads so when we do get a chance to get together we can be like all right let's go over you know this working title song and then once that kind of gets to a point where we hit a roadblock we'll take a break and then we'll go to a different a different piece to try to work on um so yeah everything is basically sent around virtually and we don't actually really write in person um until kind of like it's it's crunch time we, we definitely, all of us work really well under pressure. So especially like with Slow Decay, same thing. Everything was getting put into a Dropbox. We didn't have much time to really sit down with each other to, you know, just hash things out. So we got together at uh, Griffin Studio in Des Moines um, for maybe about two weeks and then kind of put the finishing touches on everything. Um, which was, I mean, kind of insane to think that it took, you know, it was like two weeks of time to that we really solidified all those songs on that record. And some of them were written, you know, in a day before the record was, before it was time to really start tracking. Um, so yeah, to, to say that we work well under pressure is a little bit of an understatement, I would say. We, we work very well that way. Um, <clears throat> but right now I'd say, I mean, our Dropbox is, you could, you could, go like this and on the scroll and there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff in there a lot of really good stuff too um when it comes to lyrics vincent like when it's when it's time he's kind of always writing something or always have like he'll think of a concept or an idea that he wants to like base his lyrics on for like a record um so normally he'll kind of just pitch to us where where he wants to go lyrically and like say like story wise or concept wise and that will have an effect on you know the thought process of um like how riffs are going to get placed and how we're going to you know piece things together um but normally we won't see or 
read or hear lyrics until it's time for him to track them. And that's usually a treat because like, especially with Slow Decay. And then like when we were here, because with It Comes A Waves, especially like we, that one was, you know, recorded very unconventionally, I would say. I recorded my drums before the tour in 2019 we did with Knocked Loose. I did my drums at Griffin Studio and then everything else besides vocals were done on days off at Airbnbs. <laughs> so that, re- that record was literally, literally recorded like everywhere. <laughs> like there's, you know, my drums were done in Des Moines and then we, you know, Tom did all the bass one day and, uh, or did all like the rhythm guitars um, in San Diego and that's on the day off that we had at an Airbnb. And then Griffin did all his bass one day at a day off that we had in Texas somewhere. And then Devin did his stuff on one day off that we had somewhere. So, you know, it was, we got it done. It was basically the only way we could do it um, for the timeline that we had on getting it done. And I feel like that also all, you know, played into how the feel of everything on that record, it was, you know, done in so many different places, a lot of stress behind getting it done too. So I think that kind of conveyed into, how everybody played um but when we were getting like the the rough vocals and like cuts and stuff like that when like i was getting every point i was just straight goosebumps after hearing some of the stuff that it was doing like his changing his voice and then like hearing what he was like what his lyrics were and it was just like holy fucking shit man and then like with slow decay um and you know, previous records we'd all be sitting there, you know, he's in his vocal booth or whatever in another room and we're all in the control room just sitting there. And then, you know, whoever's recording us, you know, hits that space bar, the track starts going and we're hearing what he's saying and like how he's phrasing things. And it's like, fuck, fuck, man. Like, holy shit. Like he's, that dude never ceases to amaze me when it comes to his writing and the concepts he thinks of for doing stuff. Um, So, you know, not every band has a Vincent Bennett, that's for sure. You know, there's a lot of bands that, you know, it's a big collaborative effort when it comes to ideas and concepts and writing, but that dude's got a brain on like many people and we're definitely very, very fortunate to have him, you know, at the helm, I guess you could say. So he's the leader, as someone called him once on this, this past tour, where he was walking through the crowd and someone was like, oh my God, that's the leader right there. <laughs> It was like the leader. I thought this was, I thought we were all one here. The leader. <laughs> that was funny. So yeah, we would, you know, he'd bust his chops every once in a while calling him the leader, which he didn't like very much, but love you, Vincent. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty solid sounding title. And that's, I've noticed I've, my first Acacia Strange show was 2006 or 2007 at the auto bar in Baltimore with, were we with uh, Between the Bear to Me, Red Cord? No. So it was See You Next Tuesday, Job for a Cowboy, and Death. Or Death. I'm not sure how they pronounce That's it. Two A's. And uh, was Psyopus was on yep. that too. Yep. Yep. That was our first like full U.S. headliner that we ever did. And it was crazy that Job for a Cowboy played under us. It was, And that was when they were starting to just explode. So. Yeah. With, uh, what was it, Knee Deep and Doom? Yeah, went kind of crazy with that, but yeah, that was that was my first, that was my first heavy show. I won't put a a core genre or anything on it, but heavy. 
And um, over the past few years, I've went back and I've tried to recall every show I've went to and I made an Excel like spreadsheet. Oh no. <laughs> and it, it's pretty funny. And so I was 16 at the time for that one. I've always been into music. Like my dad, my mom and my dad are both huge, not musicians, but huge into like, you know, diving into full bands and everything. So I made the list and it's like um, my first concert, it's like Backstreet Boys. And then again, this was, you know, like seven, eight years old when they were white hot superstars. It was like Backstreet Boys, then NSYNC, then Britney Spears, then Christina Aguilera, where Destiny's Child opened for her. And that was at uh, Darien Lake in New York, uh, the Six Flags. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to some like... uh, like big radio festival thing they had in Baltimore where the Baja men headlined. <laughs> and then wait, that's uh that's who let the dogs out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So got to see those legends. And then there was a couple year drop off. And then I went to a show um, in, in Baltimore, just outside of Baltimore city in a place called Towson where all time low played. And it was like a church rec center. And it was mm-hmm. right as they were like bubbling, like, right like right before you know their rocket ship took off and i remember seeing them and i was like okay because again that's like when music started to shift for me i'd like my dad i'd always been in like acdc metallic and all that growing up but then you know i went through that like heavy rap phase some country like kind of all over the place but didn't know and like obviously blink because they were superstars forever but didn't know like much of the alternative or non-mainstream metal stuff so like i got into all-time low and then couple weeks later i seen them on mtv and i was like oh i guess they're blowing up now and then there was a yeah. year between that and then i went to the acacia strange show at the auto bar and at that point i was like okay i was like this is like this is where i'm at this is where i belong <laughs> yeah i was like i was like these are these are the shows i like i like the smaller more intimate club. auto bar is probably like my favorite venue of all time dude we haven't played there in years and i don't know why but i i would love to play that place again yeah it's it's so small, but it has that little balcony. And then it has like the side step over on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the little, it's not really a second floor, but it's like a half, you know, it's like a split level floor in the back. But yep. I hadn't even heard the Acacia stream before that show. I went, my buddy gave me, um, he put like some see you next Tuesday on my iPod, like the iPod nano. And he was like, here, this band's insane. Check this out. And I listened, I was like, what the hell? I was like, this is nuts. What is this? And then I, I went on Google and I was like looking up shows and then I seen that you guys were coming and then, you know, I've told everybody and like my wife knows how excited I'm like the Casey strain, like they're my top heavy band of heavy bands ever. Oh shit. So. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. It always, it's, it's always, it's, you know, it's very humbling when I hear somebody say that because to me, I'm just a guy that's playing some drums in the band. Like it still blows my mind, you know, almost 18 years later that, either that, you know, I'm in someone's favorite band or that I'm someone's favorite drummer. Like, it's, I'm just, oh, no, get out of here. It's not going to off with that. Like, like, it's still, I don't know if you can hear my dogs back there, but they're, <laughs> they're being little shits. I have, a, I have two chihuahuas. I have one little four-pound chihuahua. That's a girl. And then the boy, Buster, he's, he's, a little, he's a mix, but he's like 12, 13 pounds, and he's always trying to steal her spot <laughs> in their bed, and she'll just, she'll just lay there and growl at him. So that's, that's what was just going on over there. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely very humbling whenever I hear somebody say something like that. So thank you for being a fan and 
you know, considering us your favorite, that's just mind blowing to me still. Um, so yeah, thank, thank you, you. <laughs> for all the art over the years. And that, that's what I was going to say too. I feel like the Acacia Strain, it's one of those bands where if I just want to listen to something heavy, but not get like too introspective or, I mean, obviously there's always feeling with music, but even if I'm just, you know, on a road trip or something and I would just want to hear something heavy, I can listen to it. But then it's also, especially this is speaking to, like you were saying, like when you hear the stuff Vincent's putting out, it just blows your mind, like the lyrical content, the themes. It's also that stuff you can put on where it's like having a super bad day and I'm pissed off and hate the world or, hey, I'm not feeling the hottest today, you know, mentally, blah, 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 whatever it is, you can listen and kind of takes you through those range of emotions where it's okay to be pissed off. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad, whatever. Mm -hmm. Somehow through that, I think some people would be like, well, why would you want to listen to something heavy and dark if you're not feeling good? But I don't know, by proxy, some way it makes things better. Right. And with that, the, one of the main reasons I brought up the, the show, the first show that I seen you guys at the auto bar, when you were saying the way Vincent can change his voice and everything, I mean, obviously, you know, he's been the case strain from the beginning, but it's just any record or especially live, I've been amazed at how well his voice has held up and like he's still able to hit those different ranges or even I seen you guys here in Salt Lake at the complex uh, for the Halloween show and then for the continent 10 year. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. The, when we all dressed up as Peter Steele. Yeah, I, I have that one. <laughs> I'll have to find him. I got on my computer. I got hilarious video from that where like, I didn't record every song and I know some people, you know, get mad when people are recording at concerts, but it's like, if it's a, if it's a certain song, I'll definitely record it. Some songs I'll just record like a quick part of it. And then, you know, sometimes I won't have my phone out at all, but when everyone had the wigs on and I, I don't know if I posted, I'll have to go back and find it. But everyone in the band's wig came off on a different at a different time. Like you guys didn't take them off in unison or anything. Yours, I got a video definitely of you just going crazy and everything. And then like when you headbang, yours just goes up over you. And then Tom hit like when he's headbang, his goes down low. And then like you see Griffin trying to throw his around. <laughs> yeah. I think Devin might have just took his off and threw it. Yeah, my stick threw kept his into the stuck crowd. in the hair. And my stick kept getting stuck in the hair, and I was like, "I can't deal. I can't deal with this man. This thing's gotta go." Yeah, it it looked uh, yeah. it looked I think uh, the most difficult for you because yours was just ever obviously you're moving, you know, a lot more than most. But it was yeah, just it everywhere. Was... But it, it was funny looking through the progression. It was like, oh, all the members have long hair. Now one member doesn't. Now another member doesn't, <laughs> and it just went through. Yeah. But yeah, even at those shows when you know when he's doing highs or lows or. Even, you know, you see him do it live sometimes where he'll just hold the mic and he'll just kind of like move his head and do this. You know, I don't even know, but it's almost like when a kid's just yelling and, you know, the voice is just going around. Yeah. So it's cool that you guys still get excited to be able to hear those, those different ranges and those lyrics oh, yeah. in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a treat. So with, I was going to ask with, um, sorry, with It Comes in Waves, what was that like as far as writing for, because obviously there's individual tracks on it, but you know, it's one long song broken up and kind of meant to be listened to straight through. Was that wildly different than recording for any other album where every song doesn't have to bleed into the other one or have anything to do with the song beforehand? 
Um, so, all right. So with the writing process with that one, they wrote that mostly in the year of 2018, which is the year that I, I took that entire year off because I had a lot of stuff going on at home. I, uh, and I mentioned this before the podcast to you, but like tomorrow is my, I'm celebrating four years of you know, sobriety. Congratulations. So it was in 2018 where the, thank you, thank you. It was in 2018 where, um, you know, the, the rock bottom moment happened for me where, you know, I had, had a lot of shit to take care of at home that, you know, stemmed from that. So I, uh, I wasn't physically there or really was hearing too many things as it was getting written until basically it was almost done in time for me to like really start writing drums to it. Um, so for me, that one, and when you want to talk about like being blown away by something, like I knew what the concept was. I knew what we were, the direction and everything. It was, you know, super experimental. We're going to do this one big long song thing about like interdimensional beings and it's going to be cool and all about outer space and, you know, all this super cool shit. But when it finally came to me and I heard it all, like, as that one big piece I was just like I was like I can't believe that this came out of my band members brains <laughs> and got you know they were able to record this I was just like holy shit um so there's there's you know a lot of holy shit moments I guess you can say that are that come from hearing what these guys write but it was just you know especially a year of taking you know taking a year off um not really being super involved in things because, you know, I had a lot of personal things to take care of. So it was better that I just kind of separated myself from the band in a way, almost completely. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was definitely hearing that, like got me so excited to get back to, you know, being back and playing and knowing that that's going to be the first time, like we actually, you know, sit down and play together again. It's going to be me recording those drums for that. Um, you know, I think, well, I think the end of that year, we had like a little week long, uh, run of Christmas shows. And that was basically my, my welcome back to playing, um, with the band. But yeah, man, it comes in waves is that's definitely the, the most different, I would say, as far as the whole writing process went, where they wrote the whole thing and it was done. And then I heard it and was completely blown away and then I was like shit now I have to try to write some you know I know it was mostly a doom record so there's not the most craziest most impressive you know drumming throughout it because there's only one way to really play along with doom riffs and that's slow doomy drums yeah <laughs> so um so yeah it was it was something man it was definitely it made me feel you know excited and proud again basically to be part of something was it difficult to play in that doom style like do you listen to a lot of doom records on your own or if you can tell especially since coma which um you know with observer being basically a 30 minute doom song um we're all very big fans of doom okay. you know like sleep um you know the band sleep earth uh monolord bands like that those are like you know, that's mostly what we're listening to in the van. If it's not some sort of like silly pop or you know, like Wolfpack or um, 
stuff like that or podcasts were basically we're most of the time going to be listening to something that's doomy. It's just the same chord rung out with, you know, for 45 seconds <laughs> and two snare hits, two snare hits in between. I've never known much about it, but I had someone show me Bell Witch and oh dude that band rules yeah i've listened to them in bits but it's definitely a genre i need to like dive into and listen to dope smoker by sleep okay that is that's one where it's that's an hour long song it's just one song and it's an hour long and there's so there's silly stories that go along with that like they got a whole bunch of money given to there's i don't know if this is true Cause they're a big like stoner band. Like they're like Matt Pike, the main guy, he's known for being like a huge pothead and everything. I think the whole band anyway. And the whole record is about like this, um, this like race of beings that are, you know, fueled by weed and like they are, they're going across this endless desert to find like more weed or something. It's, but anyway, it's like, uh, you know, it's a story, which I, you know, like I said, I don't know if it's exactly true or not, but it was a major label gave them, you know, like, six-figure budget to record that record and they spent you know most of it on weed and party essentials and then delivered them this one hour long song that's just (laughs) about this race of beings looking for weed (laughs) and they're like what the fuck is this so but i mean it's that's a pretty fucking cool story if you ask me getting a whole bunch of money from a label to record what would be a major release and then you just kind of say fuck you and smoke a bunch of weed and then write a one hour long doom song as your record i mean it's, that's pretty great if you ask me that's definitely staying true to yourself as well it's not uh you know oh yeah you're like hey if you're gonna give us a yeah. bunch of money we're gonna spend on weed and play one long song and they're like okay yeah sure here you go and then a couple months later they're like here's your one long song what would you do with the rest of the money well we <laughs> smoked it all we told you what we were gonna do <laughs> yeah well hey it's a full-length record it's 60 minutes long man like what do you want from us um but all their records are great i think you should uh if you want to dive deep also another band uh called warning they have a record called watching from a distance that's uh some some woman out there broke that man's heart bad because that record's it's it's definitely about getting you know fucked up in a after a relationship um but yeah if you ever if you ever see that doom is one of those things too where it's like it's could be very depressed, very depressing, like that warning record, um, the subject matter and the, the way the riffs are just, it just feels depressing, but that's another thing where it's like, it can, how you were saying when you could put our records on and it's not necessarily happy music, but it could rejuvenate your mood back to, you know, it could put you, it can make you feel better. Right. It's the same thing with like a lot of, a lot of doom stuff for me. It's, uh, a lot of people would assume it's going to make you more down, but at the same time, it's, it's doing the actual opposite so yeah i'll have to check those out and like i said i'll i'll dive farther into those because what i have heard yeah, i'll like, shoot you um yeah i'll shoot you a message after this with a few like maybe like five or six records that you should check out that i feel like you would enjoy especially if like if you like the comes and waves there's you know parts in that record you'll hear probably where it was influenced from from the records i sent you to check out okay cool so, especially a lot of the doomier stuff and like observer on coma which that's you know you'll definitely hear the inspiration from those songs yeah that's it's interesting to hear that it wasn't um that it, well i guess it was a new like a new artistic venture for the whole band but it wasn't anything that was 
it was new to you guys, but it was something that you were looking forward to doing and then kind of came naturally exactly. to you. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. after that came out Slow Decay, which I think was probably one of the coolest release formats that I've seen maybe ever, definitely in a long time. So um, with, for anyone who doesn't know, it was released, what, in seven inch increments, like over, was it every two, yep. was it every two weeks or every month? So for a while, it was, I think, every three weeks. And then I think when either, I think it was when A was supposed to come out, everybody was like, oh, we're wait or maybe, yeah, I think it was either C or A. Because that won't, no, that was definitely A because we had the first three came out in the same time increments. And everybody's like, oh, okay, Strange is going to put out another seven inch, you're going to put out two more songs. And then we didn't. And then they were like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, what is this supposed to spell? <laughs> it's just D E C, like, deck? What the fuck is that? Um, and I think it was, I think we spaced that out to four weeks. And then once Y came out, then we released the fact that, you know, even though you have these five, seven inches, we're still putting out all these songs, but on a full length, that's going to have even two more songs on it. So, and that was also that entire rollout plan. That was all Vincent. Was it? Um, and yeah. And I remember him, you know, briefly explaining it to someone about how like he remembers, you know, and I do too, like going to record stores and going to shows like the, in like the early 2000s. Um, and the way you found out about bands, especially hardcore bands and heavier bands was, you know, you grab their two song seven inch for like, you know, three, four bucks at the record store. And then you get your paper flyer for the upcoming shows for each respective venue that would put on shows in your area. So, you know, you didn't have the internet to look at everything. You didn't have streaming to just check out your band's new favorite single. So he was kind of, it was kind of like a throwback to how things once were when it came to hearing bands like in our realm. You know, you always, you'd get your seven inch single, which was the cool way. Like, you know, a lot of hardcore bands put out their songs like that, which was, I always thought was the coolest way. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a shout out and a throwback to how things used to be when it came to hearing new music from bands and um he just he took that idea and he was like all right we're gonna this is gonna sound crazy but we're gonna release five seven inches and then a full length and have two songs on each and have the full length with all those songs plus two more to make it more enticing for people to buy that and and also this this whole plan came up before covid even hit like before covid was even a thing this was like a whole year before because we recorded Slow Decay, you know, the summer before, like all the guitars, all that stuff was done. And I did my drums like a month later or so because um, it was we did the recording process for that little backwards. Normally drums go first and everybody else goes after that. This time it was everybody went first and me and Randy LaBeouf sat down and we kind of mapped out fake drums and everything. And then I went and recorded the real drums. You know, after they were all done, um, which it was the first time we ever did that. Um, and it was, uh, I like that way better too, doing the drums afterwards, because it gives me more time listening to stuff and I can think of more ideas to do because every record I'll listen to it afterwards. Like, ah, I could have done this cool little fill there, or I could have done this different little accent thing there. Um, 
So yeah, I definitely would like to keep recording records like that. Um, but yeah, this whole rollout for it was all thought up of before COVID and it was like a blessing in disguise because it kept us relevant throughout the whole, you know, first six months or so of COVID. So it kept people still interested and on their toes. And, um, and it's weird to think that we've only done one tour on that record and it came out two years ago now, almost. Kind of serendipitous the way it lined up. And because normally, you know, when a band would drop a record, they'll announce it however long before. And then there's the buzz and then there's the buzz when it comes out. And it's not, I don't want to say it's just like, oh, a two to four week thing. And then people just move on because obviously people listen to music forever. But it feels like that rollout just kept the excitement rolling for, well, I guess it was kind of a combination of the pre-release excitement and the actual release excitement because mm-hmm. you're waiting for a band. You're like, they'll put out one or two songs. You're like, okay, what's the rest of the record going to sound like? What's it going to sound like? And then you get it all at once you're obsessed with it for however long and then it just kind of rolls on but this one you had the hype of okay well the first one's out but there's something else coming and then you're like okay this one's out but then something else is coming and then instead of a you know one to two month hype like you said it's stretched out for months and months where especially at a time where bands weren't putting much out and there was no touring at all there were some bands doing live streams but it was like it kept that Mm -hmm. that hype rolling for a long time and made it exciting for everyone yeah, it was uh, definitely an experiment. We had no idea how it was going to end up being. I mean, regardless of how, if it, even if it decided, even if it flopped, it's still a different new way to put music out. And like Vincent will say, like, you know, now that we did this, like we can't ever really put out our normal record again. We can't. <laughs> Every time we do something, we're going to have to try to figure out something new and different and cool, you know, a way to put stuff out. So yeah. we kind of screwed ourselves a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it though. He screwed, he screwed himself because he's the brainchild behind all the really cool ideas when it comes to stuff like that. So he's, he has to uh, put in overtime now to figure out how we're going to do stuff. And for uh, the next record that we're going to be doing, which, um, I know nobody's really publicly said anything about this, but like I know recently a magazine put out an article saying that we're supposed to be releasing something this year, like this summer. I don't know where they heard that from. <laughs> I think they were just assuming since we usually put out a record every two years. But um, um, I, 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 could, I guess I'll say that that's, that's definitely not, there's definitely no record coming out this spring. That's for okay. sure. Um. But, but there is there is something yeah, new in the works, though, correct? Uh, there's, I mean, there's always something okay, in the works. <laughs> it's just a matter of when it's going to be fully, fully in the works. Um, you know, and you know, the, the world is so different now because of COVID. It's it may it's everything is, you know, nothing's the same. So we're we have to still figure things out when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, um, I think it's I think it's pretty crazy how it just worked out for us with the uh, pandemic hitting and us being able to just coincidentally have this cool record rollout plan that, you know, everybody being home and being able to build that hype, like we released the first, we released D uh, at the end of February of last year, or not last year, two years ago. <laughs> like it's COVID put just, just this weird 
uh, you know, almost like it was, it's like a, a time that is just an entire year is just gone. Like anything that happened in 2020, I still feel like happened last year. Yep. Like it's just, you know, especially when you're so used to things going a certain way for so long. And then you have a whole, basically, uh, how long was it? I think it was a year and a half, a year and seven months since we had last like been on tour, which is the longest the band has ever been home. Right. Since we've been touring. So it was very, uh, it was hard on everybody mentally for sure. But with that time off, I know we were talking beforehand, you actually got your real estate license during that time, correct? I did. Yeah. Um, so I was doing, uh, you know, I was doing little things here and there and I was doing Instacart, which I don't know if you guys have that out in Utah. It's just, yeah. you know, basically an Uber for grocery shopping. So I'll go out and get people's groceries. And I'll tell you, man, when that pandemic first hit, people were throwing out like 20s, 50s, $100 cash for tips. And it was like, thank you so much for risking your life for buying my groceries. And it's like, no, thank you, please. Like, this is great. You know, making like a couple of like, there was some weeks where I'd do like three, $400 a day in between cash tips and like getting paid on the app. So it was like, this is pretty fucking sick. Like I'll go buy people's groceries for like, you know, up to almost a couple grand a week sometimes. So I was like, this is fucking sick. And then, you know, the pandemic was just dragging on and kept going. And then those big cash tips were turning into like five, $10 cash tips. And it was like, you know, blue moon. If you got a $20 cash tip at, you know, at a certain point, <laughs> I was like, man, I need to, I need to figure something else out. And then um, Dan Burke that used to play drums and straight from the path, he became a realtor like five years ago, five, six years ago. Yeah. I remember seeing that he announced he was leaving for that. Yeah. He left the band to become a realtor because he realized how fruitful the industry could be. And he left to pursue that full time. So I remember sitting on the phone with him for like a dude, it was like a couple hours. We sat on the phone, just, you know, catching up, shooting shit. And then I was like, listen, man, like sell me on this. Like, why should I try to do this? And, you know, two hours later, we got off the phone. He sent me the link for the virtual, like the online school he did to get his license, paid for it, started doing the classes like that evening. And then, you know, a few months later, finished it, passed the course and applied to take my state test, took my state test, passed it the first time, thankfully. Nice. And I walked out of there knowing I passed it. I, I mean, I don't think I've studied for anything <laughs> that hard in my entire life. Um. So I was like, I have to do this. Like, this has to work. Like, I can't, I put out so much time and money into like the schooling, which schooling wasn't that much, but I, you know, went out and bought a whole bunch of new stuff, just knowing I was going to do it, you know? So all this time and money invested in it, I was like, I, I have to kick this test's ass. Like, there's no question about it. And uh, thankfully I did. I don't know what my exact score was. It just, you sign into a thing. It just tells you pass or fail. And mine said pass. So then. Uh, the brokerage that he uh, owns works for it's you know it's a corporate company that has many branches throughout the country well throughout the world and there's a branch up here I went and interviewed with them and then she was basically like she was basically had the paperwork lined up like laying out for me waiting to sign it when I got there so she you know you just basically it's when it comes to being a realtor you're basically I was basically interviewing them to see if I would want to you know be a you know, contracted with them. So, and uh, me and the, the broker there, we hit it off like immediately. It was like hanging out with my cool aunt. 
Like she's just the best. Jen is just the greatest. Um, and uh, yeah, like it's, it's the best. I mean, COVID, it was a blessing in disguise when it comes to certain things. Like I don't, I never would have decided to get into real estate and it's been for me, you know, I've been pretty successful at it so far. So it's going very well. That's good to hear. Is it, uh, is it kind of, does it feel weird? Kind of like a double life on one hand, heavy rock and roll metal, whatever you want to call it. The life of a musician drumming all across the country. And then at other times, you know, your collared shirts, shaking hands, signing papers. Yeah. It's uh, like right before, like we started recording this, we chatted for what, like 30 seconds. And I was just warning you like, Hey, I'm waiting for a phone call. That's Yep. to do with real estate so like if it comes in i'm gonna have to take it and then while i was telling you that the guy was calling me so i had to put you on mute i had to go from I'm about to do an interview about my band kevin to businessman kevin on the phone <laughs> talking to this guy so it's um in a way like i've been asked this before like how like how was your transition from being a musician to real estate like obviously it's two completely polar opposite industries but the one thing i think that helped me out the most and that has the most in common is like most of my clients that i'm getting like leads i'm getting are complete strangers and i have to like talk to these complete strangers and like win them over to have me work for them and help them buy a house or sell a house and i'd say the years of having to talk to complete strangers at shows yeah you know meeting new bands that we're touring with or, you know, talking with fans or, excuse me, um, you know, doing interviews like this or, you know, doing podcasts and the, the, you know, communicating with strangers thing was definitely transferred very well. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I definitely found something else that I'm really good at. And I never knew I would be good at it until I tried it. And and I, I, it's probably the, like, it's almost, I'm thankful for COVID in a way for giving me an opportunity to find something else to do. Um, that wasn't working for someone else. Cause technically I, I'm my own boss. Really. I decide if I want to work with a client or if I don't want to, like if, I mean, obviously if I'm in the middle of something, I have to be answering calls or doing emails if I'm under contract with someone. But if, if I, you know, if someone in my office is like, hey, can you cover this or cover that? Like, if I have enough on my plate, I could, no, sorry. You can ask, you know, ask, ask the next person. Because I also don't want to, you know, be taking every little thing I can. Um, I don't know. You just got to, I think it's, it's great. I love it. I can't complain. It's, it's fun being able to uh, also, you know, and you got a lot of people will know that, I'm a newer agent and they'll try to like intimidate or like hardball. And it's just like, well, here's the thing, like without, you know, basically saying things in a way where it's like, I did my research. I know what's going on here. I'm not some dumb new agent. Right. Like the guy I was just talking to, I can't go into details about anything because it's technically called confidential stuff, but he just thought like, Oh, this kid's been doing this for a year. I'm going to, I'm going to walk all over him. And it's just, yeah. At one point, not to pat myself on the back, but at one point I, I hit him with something that I said that like he had no response to. I was like, are you there? <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, no, I totally understand what you're saying, man. Like, that's a very good point. And I'm like, 
no shit asshole <laughs> yeah once that uh once oh, that yeah, proven research comes out it helps yeah it's it's very cool i just you know it keeps me on my toes it keeps me very busy when i'm at home um and it's helping me you know provide a life for my daughter right now that's you know you know it's i spoil her maybe a little too much sometimes but uh you know basically anything to put a smile on that little girl's face is what's gonna make me the happiest and i know if i can if it takes me having to sit on the phone with some guy and setting them straight just so i can get a paycheck and two months after signing a contract and whatever as long as i can keep rolling those in and keeping her happy then i'm good to go yeah and then also being able to when the band once we start can can really start touring like we used to that'll be fun again too but the world is so different i have no idea how that's gonna really pan out yeah and it seems like a great career especially with the flexibility and the i guess somewhat uncertainty of how touring is going to be so hopefully it's something you know there's other musicians looking for anything they look into and dan you know obviously was with straight from the path for a while and Mm -hmm. as far as i know still does they haven't played anything out in a while but the band after party with him and drew which i can't Mm -hmm. get enough of those two projects they put out so if Dan sees this, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for more after party. <laughs> I will um I'll text, you know, I'm gonna text him right now because we were just talking earlier about something. Cause uh actually like my my broker at my office, she was just installed as like the president for New York State's Association of Realtors. So she's you know, she's like a big deal here in New York. And it's that's another reason why, like, you know, I have basically the best of the best up here backing me and helping me with everything. And uh Dan knows her too. And you know, they're, they're fond of each other. They both know that, you know, they're as some couple of ass kicking uh, brokers in a good way, not, you know, yeah. they're not going around <laughs> giving people black eyes, but. Um, or some people to buy. Yeah. But yeah. Cause I was just talking to him the other day to see if he was going to be up in Albany for any of that stuff. And he unfortunately wasn't going to be able to, cause he's got a bunch of, you know, stuff going on down in uh, Long Island. But yeah, I'm going to text him right now. I'm going to say uh, doing a podcast. And I Brent and I mentioned you. And the guy wants to know when is more after party coming. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Tell him it's uh been waiting on it. <laughs> and then switch gears back to uh we'll jump out of uh business Kevin back to musician Kevin. <laughs> back to drummer boy. Yeah, there you go. What was the ghost inside show like? Oh, absolutely fucking surreal. So, you know, first off, you know, they're, they're one of our like best friend bands, you know, Zach Johnson, the guitar player and Griffin, our uh, bass player, they grew up together in Des Moines. So they have, you know, they've been friends for ever. Okay. Uh, they were in two Peter to die together. Um, we've known Andrew from, you know, this is well over 10 years ago. I can't even think what record we were touring on when uh, we did a little a little short stint with uh, For the Fallen Dreams when he was still playing drums with them. So we've known all most of those guys for very, very long time. So we have lots of history. We've been friends forever. Um, so, to, you know, out of all the bands they could have picked to play, you know, we were one of them. So obviously it was, you know, we were honored to do it. It was a no-brainer. It was, even if we made no money doing it, didn't care like i you know everybody had to fly out that doesn't live around 
here to come meet at Vincent's to practice and everything. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, surreal to be, so it was August, the high, the high temperature that day was like 65, very strange weather for a new England summer, uh, cloudy out, wasn't supposed to rain. It was a, you know, a very slim chance. Um, so what do you think happens when we're setting up on stage? Pouring rain. Starts fucking downpouring. Uh, there's holes in the stage above us. So there's like water dripping down and like hitting me. We have this, you know, very expensive new rig that we basically just got like a week before the show um, to run all of our in-ears and everything that if we didn't move it to a different spot because Tom's cables didn't reach a certain area, so we had to like move it to a, this really weird area on the stage. If we kept it where it was, there would have been a like fire hose strength amount of water <laughs> just pouring through this hole in the stage. It would have just been pissing all over this gear. Um, so of course we and what other way would have happened? You know, would have happened for us? Like super stressful. First time using all this new gear. Um, it's pouring rain. Uh, we only have 15 minutes to get this stuff figured out and set up. And, you know, it was just absolute mayhem. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we do our quick line check and then it's like, all right, here we go. And then the sample starts playing and then you can hear it in our ears and we're just like, holy shit. And then the fact that there was like just over 7,000 people yeah, was just like, this is our first show back. And, you know, there's, drone footage where you can see at one point there's like five mosh pits going on while we were playing like you know the whole time i was just trying to soak it in as best as i can just you know just like it, treating it like i'm playing some little in, you know basement show in front of 10 people you know i don't really get nervous playing shows anymore but that show felt like it was my first show of my ever again because on top of the click track thing um playing with the in-ears being absolutely fucking batshit nervous about that. And then the fact that it starts fucking pouring rain. Uh, and, you know, you got like 70 to 200 people just standing there, you know, scratching their necks waiting for us to play. It was just like, and, you know, we're scratching our necks waiting to play too, but, you know, even like me and Vincent were just like locking eyes while the samples playing. And we're both just like, like mouthing to each other, like, Holy fuck, Holy fuck, Holy fuck, Holy fuck. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, I feel like you're going, it feels like you're going up a hill on like a thousand foot roller coaster. And then as soon as, you know, the four count in our ears went, it was just, you know, autopilot from there, but you know, it was just like playing any other show, but it was just seriously, it was just, you know, everything about it, playing with them, uh, you know, playing with other bands, you know, every time I die, we've known them forever. Um, you know, it was just, there's, there's very little ways to describe the feelings of playing that show. Like surreal is like the only word I can really think of right now, but it was just every emotion you could possibly think of, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was so intense. Yeah. All the very footage intense. I've seen that came out of it just looked like one of the craziest shows ever, especially everything they went through and then obviously covid like you said bands not being able to play people waiting for music is playing outside mm -hmm. is that a huge difference than playing at like a like a decent sized indoor room or is it not really affect you at all um i mean there's definitely 
a big difference as far as like, well, now using the in-ears, the difference I'm going to explain really isn't there anymore because you can hear everything. But when you're outside, there's more room for frequencies and sound to just go wherever the hell it wants. Right. You know, if you're playing in a place, you, everything's bouncing off stuff. Um, it's a little more contained and condensed. Um, but then, you know, playing outside, you have to do, deal with the elements. Like in our case, that show, it started pouring rain when we were playing. You know, another example is, you know, playing in Phoenix, Arizona day on like Vans warp Tour. It's 120 degrees outside and you should be sweating, but you aren't because it's immediately evaporating off your body <laughs> while you're playing. Um, yeah, man, it was, uh, I mean, playing outside is fun if it's like the perfect temperature and, you know, obviously there's usually a lot more people there. Just the, the feeling and the atmosphere of it's, you know, completely different than playing inside. But um, I would prefer to be indoors than outdoors. Okay. For sure. Yeah. I know we've been running for a while here. It feels like we just started. But... Yeah, I am. We are going to, if we keep going like super long here, like I know this is, I'm having a, a grand old time. But I do have a 2.30 appointment where I'll have to leave my house at like maybe like 10 after 2 at the latest. Perfect. So. We'll, uh, we'll go to the end of the show here and then we'll do the bonus video. We can, always figure out a, we can always figure out a part two if there's more stuff you wanted to cover that we don't get to. Yeah, I'm, I'm always down. But for this one, uh, what I do at the end of every episode is we go through each album and then I have the artist pick two to three songs that they would recommend for anyone that hasn't seen any of the past videos. This isn't necessarily the the single for that record or the best performing it's whatever Kevin thinks, you know, if he had to recommend two to three songs from each album to someone that's never heard his band or anything like that. We'll start with 2006, the dead walk. The dead walk. This is, um, I bet you could probably guess what two songs that I was going to say. And the first one is Woe Shut It Down um, because I think that one. So I don't know if you're familiar, like, obviously, I'm sure you're familiar with Bruce Springsteen, but like every concert he plays, no matter what, since he wrote the song uh, Born to Run, he plays that song every concert he's played since. That's the one song you can always guarantee you're going to hear. It plays it every single time. Um, even before Dead Walkers released. Um, you know, back in the day when, you know, you're a baby band and you play your new songs that aren't out yet, um, to just to make your set longer. We uh, basically started playing that song ever since we wrote it. And we played it every single show since. So if there's one song from that record that you're going to definitely hear live, yep. it's going to be We'll Shut It Down. On top of the fact that it's got, you know, it's got a, like a big sing-along part before the breakdown where the crowd gets very involved. And sometimes that could be super intense at a show. Like when you just hear everybody's screams, you know, I'm giving up on you. It's just, even still to all of us, it's like, we'll like look back at each other. Like, Oh, shit, like every, that was fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so we'll shut it down. And then the other song, I think my personal favorite is uh, the song, the dead walk. I think that was probably the most fun song for me to play on that record besides Well Shut It Down. Um, it's just a fun song, super heavy. Um, yeah, that, that, I'd say that's the two songs from that record I would suggest someone listen to. Title track and then Well Shut It Down. 
which little fun tidbit about Wolf Shut It Down. It's named after uh, a Jerky Boy skit, the new awning skit. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Is that when the guy calls? He's like, I forget if it's on Jerky Boys one or two, but the skit's called New Awnings. And he calls up an awning company and he's like, ah, I need to get some new awnings. And he's like pretending like he's working in a warehouse with these guys keep backing their trucks up into the awnings and breaking them down. And you can hear like the sound effect. It's like a truck backing up and the beeping noise. And he's like, whoa, whoa, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> That's where that came from. I didn't know that was named after that. I, uh, I love the yeah, Jerky Boys. Yeah, we listened boys. to a lot of Jerky Boys. Yeah, we listened to a lot of Jerky Boys before that record was out. Uh, it was a tour we did with Since the Flood. And uh, that tour was just both of our bands respectively just listening to Jerky Boys in our vans and then just quoting it to each other like every day when we would get to the shows. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. the roofing company, the car salesman, and uh, <laughs> the, like the uh, truck driver, those are like the three best. Yeah, and Saul Rosenberg is also... <laughs> That character is just the best. Yeah. I like when he's talking about selling the car. He goes, you know, the guy doesn't know if he wants to buy, he wants to sell. He, you know, talks about smashing the guy's head in the car. And the guy's like, whoa, whoa, I can't have you doing that at my dealership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that Frank Rizzo? Yep. That character? Yep, Frank Rizzo. Yeah. Oh, dude. Those those first couple Jerky Boys records are so good. Yeah. Like the kings of like the, you know, they were the best of the, you know, the, the first ones to really release a comedy record of prank phone calls. And it was just pre-caller id days oh yeah yeah you didn't know who the fuck was calling you (laughs) love it all right so then next we have 2008 continent well not the continent but continent um we have uh c-word because uh that song i don't think one riff in that song repeats it's like five minutes of just riff after riff after riff after riff after riff (laughs) um that's my most fun song to play that song was uh there's a part in there and like towards the middle where I'm doing like a China and like a Tom beat over some guitar, like ring outs. And the song actually was built off that part. Like I was just jamming that and just doing like a cool little noodly thing or whatever. And then I remember DL started like doing ring outs and then we started writing a song and then we we're like, Hey, that can go with that part. We were just jamming can go next. Cause we would hit a roadblock. I was like, yo, what about that thing I was just doing? And you were doing the ring outs. Um, so yeah, that one, and then we, you know, we just, boom, as we kept writing it, just was like, do we repeat something? And nothing felt right repeating. And then it was like, oh, well, I got this riff, and it just kept, you know, turning into riff after riff after riff. Um, so that one's just a straight, just, you know, each riff just comes in, and it's a whole new version of us trying to beat you up uh, sonically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then oof, another song on Continent. Um, I'd say our instrumental there at the end, Behemoth. Yep, that was definitely another favorite of mine on there. It's 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 you know all instrumental, but it's got some stuff in there that can it could put you in the feels for sure. Um, which is that's my favorite thing about you know when a song can really just some some notes and some patterns and some noise can completely make you feel a certain way. It's just you know it's like magic. Yeah. Um. So I'd say Seaward and Behemoth. Those are my two for Continent. For me, Continent is the... Obviously, I like everything that's come out afterward. Everything has been great. But Continent, for me, that came out at the time of... You know, it wasn't too long after I discovered the Acacia Strain. And it was 
going from high school to a little bit of college to then in the military. So it was like very transitional period in my life. So like that album like carried through. So that's always, you know, that's the album for me. You know, that one's always up there. You were, uh, you joined the military? Yeah. Yeah. I was in the army for a while. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Thank oh, you very well, much. Thank you. I have military in my family. So I, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, both my grandparents were or grandfathers were in the military, a couple of uncles that were in the military. So it's, you know, it's kind of one of those natural things when you see someone in the service or know someone that was in the service, you know, I, I have to immediately thank you at some point. Well, well thank you. <laughs> so, well, yeah. And then of course with continent JFC, that's another one's played every show, right? Almost that one we've kind of put on the back burner a little while. Okay. Um, that's just, I mean, that's definitely a song that gets everyone going. It's a good one uh, to get the crowd involved. But, you know, we spent so many years literally playing almost the same set, like every tour, because we were just, for lack of better words, getting lazy. And like I said, we would just get together for a week before a tour and practice a couple times and then go, eh, fuck it, punk rock style, we're just going to go out and play our songs. <laughs> and if they, people get upset that we don't play certain things, you know, whatever, it's, we're the ones up here that have to play it. So we were just, you know, stuck in playing the same like 12 to 15 songs for like a few years. Um, and then when then, you know, when we would put out a new record, we'd add maybe one or two of those songs to the set. But um, we've, you know, I'd say grown into the, grown in a way where we could, uh, you know, it's like, hey, we have this big catalog of songs and there's a lot of songs that we've never played before that we always get asked to play, but we never do. So maybe we should try doing that. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, JFC is, that one's in the back burner for a minute. Um, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be back soon enough. I'm sure. Yeah. And like you said, definitely uh, one of the ones that gets the crowd involved and you, know, you get the goosebumps right at the drop. Mm -hmm. Then we have 2012. Yeah. It's always, it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's always, it was always fun at shows because the way we'd always go into that song is we always figured out, whatever song before it, the way it ends, we can just end it, everybody cut, and then Vincent would just immediately say, I, I'm the end of the world. And when you can look at the crowd and see people realizing what's like about to hit them, they're like, you know, like, oh, like people <laughs> getting so excited. So um, that was always cool to see. So I can't wait till, can't wait till I can see those reactions again when that song's about to kick in from people. Cool. But yeah, 2012, what came out in 2012? Actually, oh, I know what so came out. We skipped 2010, 2010 Wormwood. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's, go Wormwood. everyone's favorite. That's, um, that's, I mean, I feel like that's the, our most liked record. Um, so when it comes two songs on Wormwood, I think, um, say Nightman, definitely one of my favorites. Um, and Bottom Feeder. Bottom Feeder is one for me that it's kind of a, there's some parts in there that I can kind of just, it, it just makes me feel a certain way when I'm listening to it and even playing it. A lot of good drum groove in that song. Same with Nightman. They're both just extremely fun to play. That whole record's fun to play. Um, but I did learn that there's some songs that aren't exactly the most fun to play live after we did this the entirety tour here. Um, but yeah, those, those, those would be my two, Nightman and Bottom Feeder. Okay. Which which a lot of people still don't realize now, almost 12 years later, that BTM FDR is not the name of the song. It's Bottom Feeder. 
because we'd hear that like we'd hear that sometimes you know in between songs Vincent's talking and people will yell out song titles and you're BTM FDR it's like that's not even a song title of ours like what <laughs> you got to make a uh you got to make a really a really long song title and remove all the vowels that way someone has to yell out like 20 letters you know oh yeah mm-hmm. Wait, what was that thanks for the memories that follow boy song and they remove all the vowels from the name of it so it just looks like a mush, mashup of yep. letters <laughs> yeah release a long one and then break it up into like groups of four letters and just see how long someone will yell out right so then next 2012 death is the only mortal um so death is the only mortal that one is uh you know it's the last record we had with dl um that one i mean for me that's that whole record is a favorite in a way it's not everyone else's favorite but um for me i think that one drumming wise for me i think was probably the one of the most uh i guess intense drumming that i've done on a record there's a lot a lot going on a lot of those songs um but for me, two songs in that one I'll say is "Go to Sleep," um, mostly because we got Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar to do guest vocals on that, which still blows my mind. And it's crazy that we've toured with them. Like, there's still bands that we've toured with in the past, and that well, I'm sure either play festivals with or maybe do tour with again. That are like you know, like I was listening because my dad was a metalhead too, so I've been listening to Crowbar since like early '90s. So to me, like. Yeah, that's crazy. Being on tour with a guy that I was listening to where I was fucking, you know, pissing my pants still. <laughs> it's crazy to me. Um, so go to sleep. And then um, I think Chambered Nautilus is probably my other one. Okay. That's another one that's got some feely parts or like Brain Death. That was a fun, that was a fun song to play live. But it was also, uh, there's a lot of strange timing stuff in that song too. So it was kind of nerve wracking to play it because if, it was one of those songs where if I like fucked up even the littlest thing, that could it could just completely train wreck it. Really? <laughs> Everyone else, so. <laughs> um, especially in the intro, it's very strange counts in there and stuff. But yeah, uh, go to sleep and then chamber Nautilus and brain death are tied for my second song. Okay, then we have twenty fourteen coma witch. Um, I know. It's technically a side two, but Observer is definitely because at that point that was my favorite thing that we've ever done. Was that song in itself? Um, you know, it's just a, just about thirty minutes long. It's uh, it's, we won't talk about getting put in the feels. I know I've said this a few times. I hate to repeat myself so much, but that one will uh, that one will get you. Um, you know, and then how involved things got like you know the part in the part in there where that woman is speaking like vincent wrote all that stuff for her to say okay um it was someone that worked at the studio's girlfriend her mother is like a voice actress or voice actor and she uh she read that part and it was just like that was like another like goosebump moment like holy shit this is (laughs) This is going to be on our records. Like this is fucking crazy. That this, this it was just so cool. Um, but Observer, and then I want to say hmm, maybe Holy Walls of the Vatican. Um, I remember writing that drum roll intro uh, 
at the studio. I remember Will Putney was sitting there. He's like, I feel this. I feel like this song needs a drum intro. And it was a thrashy song. So my first thought was Slayer. Like, well, let me, like, what would Dave Lombardo do here? And then I just, you know, ripped this drum roll. And then I was like, how's that sound? And Will was like, <laughs> that, that's cool. Do you remember what you just did? And I was like, I think so. And so then we just, you know, did a few takes of it and then practiced it a couple more times, got exactly what I wanted to do down. And then I was like, all right, well, here you go, space bar. And then fucking went through it. Um, but I like that one because that song to me makes me feel a certain way because it, you know, growing up was a lot of thrash metal was what I listened to. And I think that, you know, that's basically mostly, excuse me, a whole, a thrash metal song, uh, an Acacia Strain version of a, a thrash right. metal song, you could say. Um, so yeah, that one, it makes me, it's almost like, a, it's like a weird nostalgia feeling while playing that song, even though it's our own, it, you know, it's just, it's just, Gives me a certain, it makes me feel a certain way of playing it. So Holy Walls of the Vatican and then uh, whoever wants to take 30 minutes of their time and light a candle, turn the lights out, put on some <laughs> earbuds and listen to Observer. Maybe pop, maybe eat a gummy or take a couple hits off a joint or something there first and really <laughs> lay back and relax and listen. All right. And then next we have Grave Bloom 2017. Grave Bloom. I want to say, so the first song, I remember writing for that or, you know, that first song that we really had some sort of demo for was Model Citizen. We've never got to play it live, but that song, you know, it's got, it's, it feels, you know, it's got a special spot with me because that was one of the first songs that Griffin, once he joined the band, wrote for the band. And it was really like, that helped solidify too. Because whenever you get someone new in a band, when it comes time to writing, you never know how it's going to go. I know he was in other bands before, um, and they have it was good stuff, but you never know how it's going to be when you're just trying to write, you know, you, in the vein of your band, right? That you're in, you know. So I was like, that was, you know, the solidifying thing for him. Where it was like, oh, fucking Griff can rip. So let's. This is sick. I like this a lot. Um, so Model Citizen, and then the other one. Um, oh my god, I have to look this up. I'm. I can't think of the name of it right now. It was literally written in the studio the day that I tracked it. It was me and Devin sitting across from each other. So we had the riff, but we, and then we just literally wrote it on the spot, maybe wrote the song in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, oh my God. I'm going to feel like such an idiot once I finally see it. <laughs> and this is my own band. I shouldn't, I should know my own band's song titles. Um. Oh my God. Walled City. Yeah, I okay. definitely wouldn't remember that. Walled <laughs> City. Um. I remember writing that song. That's another one where there's just the beginning is just a straight drum roll for forever, basically. And as I'm recording this and wrote it, I'm like, I just fucked myself now because if we ever play the song live, I'm gonna have to like go to the gym and like get in shape just to play this <laughs> damn song um so the fact that like me and Devin were able to just sit there and just lock in so quickly based off of one riff and then just carry it into a full song as quick as we did um that's another one that let's say model citizen and walled city are my my two for coma witch or uh grave bloom okay 
and then 2019 comes in waves. I know that's yeah. Just one. press yeah. play. Yep. <laughs> press play, baby. Enjoy the ride. Uh, I can't really tell you I enjoy one section more than the other. Um, it's just it's it's meant to be one big piece of music. So it's it's another one like Observer. You know, turn the lights out, throw the earbuds in, lay back, and then enjoy. Especially when you listen on earbuds, there's stuff going on in the background that you you can't hear just listening into your car. Yeah. Or, you know, over your Bluetooth speaker. If you got some earbuds in, you know, don't blare it. Don't blast it. because you're, you're not going to hear everything. So listen to it on a, like a, a decent volume and you'll be able to hear because you don't want, you know, there's certain things going on at different frequencies that'll get eaten up if you put them on full blast. So listen to that. Listen to it at about halfway. Make sure no one will bother you. Just close your eyes and listen and kind of get, kind of scare yourself a little bit. There you go. <laughs> when you guys did that tour uh, recently where you played it, did, I know you played the whole thing, but did you play it straight through or were there breaks where the tracks are? Mm-hmm. No breaks. Just straight through? So it, it, it is, it's, it's one song. I know it's like broken up by like the way, it, you know, uh, how it's written. You know, it, there's, there is a track listing. So it is kind of annoying when, you know, if I'm listening to it to practice and I forget to shut, turn shuffle off on Spotify and then yeah. it goes to like a, to a completely wrong section. But it is meant to be listened to in one shot. It's not seven tracks. It's one song right. that's, you know, part, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, so on and so forth. And then we have most recent 2020, Slow Decay, we talked about earlier. Slow Decay. Um, so, uh, so Slow Decay was, see that this is going to be a difficult one. Um, all right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have to say two songs quickly because I can sit here and think about this forever. Because <laughs> if you ask me this tomorrow, I'd probably have two other favorite songs. Um, but I'll say "Seeing God" and "Crippling Poison." Um, actually, no, I'm changing that right now. "Seeing God" and "I Breathe in the Smoke." Okay. Um, I think Zach Hatfield from uh, Left Behind's guest spot in the beginning of uh, "I Breathe in the Smoke." If if I listen to it still, like it, it just gives me goosebumps. And then I remember when he was, when he recorded that guest spot, that was before we did the tour with Chelsea Grin and Left Behind um, at Griffin Studio, because me and Tom both filled in for Left Behind on that tour. So Left Behind came and hung out with us there so we could practice. And I remember, I just remember Zach recording that part and just being like, yo, Vincent, like, these lyrics are fucking sick, man. <laughs> like, this is, this is awesome. Like, holy shit. And that, I gotta say, that's, it's, un, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, Zach's part is great. And Zach sounds amazing and it fits so well. But it's like my f- favorite lyrical part of Vincent wrote for the record, I think. And it's not even him saying, <laughs> it's not even him saying it. <laughs> so it's like, but uh, yeah, I breathe in the smoke and um, seeing God my two favorite songs on that record yeah you better think, move on because i'm gonna i'm gonna start switching it again no, i was i was just gonna <laughs> say obviously crippling poison's amazing and it seems like that one's been incredibly well received and then um i'll give you i gotta give you real quick a uh fun fact about that song so the i'm going through some shit part where yep. all the music stops that was not like that at first music was going through 
um, Randy, when he was editing, he uh, had that section muted. The music was muted there and he forgot to unmute it. So the music's playing and all of a sudden it just stops and you just hear Vincent go, I'm going through some shit and then it kicks back in. He was like, oh, did I just make a great mistake right now? Then he took a video of it and he was like, guys, I think I just made this song like, you know, I think I just made this song way bigger than what it would have been. And we were all like, yep, you need to keep that because holy shit, that was probably the best mistake you could have made for this record. Um, so sometimes, you know, mistakes can turn out to be blessings, especially like for that song. And now like we finally got to play that song live and like on this last tour. And, uh, you know, we were hoping for, you know, the crowd to catch on for that part. And it's weird thinking that at that point, the record was out for almost two years and it was the first time getting to play it live. So thankfully people had enough time to know what was coming. So I remember the first time playing that song live and hearing a whole room full of people scream, I'm going through some shit. Like, talk about goosebumps. <laughs> like it was, it was pretty emotional, I would say, because it was like, you know, you don't know if people are still going to even give a shit about your band after not being able to do anything for so long. And thankfully that tour was a reminder that, you know, we still got it. These, <laughs> us old men in our Depends and Mothballs, we still got it. <laughs> still got it. And the I think the uh, the silence there and that pause, especially with, I feel like, reading the lyrics, like it really fits, you know, all this chaos that he's going through. And then it's like this culmination where it just stops and then just goes crazy again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just, it, it was the the perfect mistake for sure. The, the best mistake Randy could have made. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect mistake lined up perfectly, made the track, like you said, even better. And then obviously more crowd. Yeah, engagement. It made it. Oh, it made that song what it is, in my opinion. Cause it's like the whole time we're playing that song, it's like, building up to that part and you can see everybody in the crowd it's like it's building up to the part where they get to all just fucking scream their heads off yeah and yeah it's 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 great to it's great that it turned out the way it did perfect well there it is so we went through all the records you played from for the acacia strain and hopefully many more to come we're waiting on it and i know not spring but you know eventually <laughs> hey it's it's coming it's coming but y'all gotta be patient yeah <laughs> well we, we got, got spoiled with on, uh man. there's still a yeah yeah we got spoiled yeah, well yeah we put it out, comes in waves and yeah, slow decay. Out, it comes in waves and then yeah it was all within you know six months of each other um but yeah it's uh the world's very different everybody's gotta be patient we were we got things going but it's you know it's it's still uh, the ingredients are still sizzling in the pot it's not a it's not a full brew going yet <laughs> oh so. it'll be worth the wait so with that i would i would hope so yeah it will be <laughs> i hope so <laughs> so with that we'll wrap up the regular episode and then we're going to jump over and do the bonus video i have a, a few rapid fire questions for you something real quick and then we'll get you out of here to everybody that's watched thank you if you're listening thank you appreciate it be sure to check out kevin i'll link all his socials in the actual episode notes as well and then it's up here over my shoulder as well but thank you there everybody Thank you, thank you, thank you.